have your Bibles, would you open them now to the book of Romans, chapter 8, and we'll read the first four verses of Romans chapter 8 as we talk today in our series about biblical foundations for change, the gospel and Christian experience. And pretty much the theme of the sermon is not overcoming the world, though it will help you do that. But the theme of the sermon is really the relationship between justification and sanctification and why it matters to us as to why we have to understand the distinction and difference between the two in order to experience radical gospel biblical transformation. Hear now the word of the Lord as we read for our scripture reading this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And it really doesn't do to read Romans chapter 8, verse 1 until you read uh, Romans 7, 24, so we'll start there. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit this is God's word let us pray Father, we need this word today. We need to hear it. It needs to penetrate our hearts. It needs to get past our defenses. We pray that you would energize us today by your spirit, that you would cause the truth preached today, the gospel, to find its home in our heart, and that it might vitalize us, it might enliven us, it might motivate us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need this word. Have mercy upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you know that we just passed Reformation Day this week on Thursday. And Reformation Day is really a celebration of the doctrine of justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And <clears throat> it was a profound reality rediscovered uh, during uh, medieval uh, Christianity by Martin Luther. Luther's own account of his experience is profound. He describes how the righteousness of God struck him with fear and provoked hatred at first because it was impossible as a standard for any person to attain. So Luther, when he read the Bible and he saw that phrase, the righteousness of God, it did not attract him, but rather it repelled him. 
And it made, it, it fostered in him a, a, a bitterness, a resentment, even a hatred for God that he would demand of us something that is impossible to do in order to find ourselves right with God. And so Luther struggled with this concept, and what drove him was the question, how can I find a gracious God? And so his understanding of the phrase righteousness of God eventually changed and as a result of his meditation upon it he discovered it meant this and I quote Luther I began to understand that the righteousness of God as that by which the righteous person lives by the gift of God faith and this sentence the righteousness of God is revealed uh, refers to a passive righteousness by which the merciful God justifies us by faith as it is written the righteous person comes to life by faith. This immediately made me feel as though I had been born again and as though I had entered through the open gates to paradise itself. Justification for Luther solves the problem of finding acceptance before a righteous God. God reckons or credits to the person uh, righteousness not on account of any righteousness that exists in the person but on account of the righteousness of Christ. And so what I want to do today is talk about why that is such a necessary foundation not only to be right with God forever and to live under his favor, but it is a necessary foundation which we return to over and over again in the Christian life. And there is really little or no progress that can occur without understanding this and grasping it and being grasped by it. And so when we speak of biblical change, something has Something has to provide the foundation for the power of biblical change. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The gospel is not a message that talks about the power. The preaching of the gospel itself is power that saves and delivers. And so in order for us to experience deep heart transformation and change, we need our understanding enlightened by the relationship between justification on the one hand and sanctification on the other. One of the reasons we, uh, why we believers live so far beneath our privileges and don't experience the radical change that we hope for is we're really confused about the relationship between justification and sanctification. We often live as if one is conditioned upon the other. It was the brilliant church historian, Richard Lovelace, who made this statement. He said, only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Many have so light an apprehension of God's holiness and of the extent and guilt of their sin that consciously they see little need for justification. Although below the surface of their lives they are deeply guilt-ridden and insecure. 
Many others have a theoretical commitment to this doctrine, but in their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for their justification in the Augustinian manner, drawing their assurance of acceptance with God from their sincerity or their past experience of conversion or their recent religious performance, or the relative infrequency of their conscious, willful disobedience. Few know enough to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Luther's platform. You are accepted, looking outward in faith, claiming the holy, alien righteousness of Jesus Christ as the only ground for acceptance, relaxing in that quality of trust which will improve which will produce increasing sanctification as faith expresses itself and becomes active in love and gratitude. That statement was written in the 70s, 1970s, and it couldn't be more true today than it was then. It's a profound need that we all have to distinguish between justification and sanctification, and I'm, I'm going to try for the next few minutes to help you distinguish between those two things, and it's very important for us to do that. Of course, what we should understand and what the Reformers taught and what the Bible even more importantly teaches is that our free acceptance with God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is, listen carefully, outside of us. That's why Luther referred to it as alien. It is not something we achieve. It's not something we produce. It is something that is totally outside of us, alien. It is not something that we gin up. It's not something we hope to reach. It is rather something already done, already accomplished for us as Jesus obeyed the covenant of works on our behalf so that he could give to us, he became sin for those who knew no sin, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in union with him. And so when by faith I look outside of myself and I trust in Jesus and him alone, then God declares that I am forever under his favor and right with him upon the basis of what Jesus has done in my place. Martin Luther said, you'll never understand the gospel unless you understand it's all about personal pronouns. Christ died for me. I am united to Christ. I am in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God that makes me right with him is a gift that is outside of me, and it becomes mine as much as if I lived it myself when I receive it from Jesus Christ. And so justification is what God does outside the believer as on the basis of Christ's death, he takes our sin and absorbs the punishment of God's wrath on our behalf. And he dies for our sin. He's buried for our sin. He raises triumphantly again over our sin. He's at the right hand of the Father. He was delivered up, the Bible says, for our transgressions, but raised again for our justification. And so justification is an act. It is an act. It's not a process. It is an act. Let me read the catechism's uh, 
definition of this, actually the larger catechism's definition of justification. Justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners in which he pardons all their sins, accepts and accounts their person righteous in his sight, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and the full satisfaction of Christ by God imputed to them, received by faith alone. And so they're very precise with this definition, but it is an excellent definition. I was reading recently a person who I would call an evangelical, a broad evangelical, and he was upset with all this emphasis upon imputation. That is, we become right with God when he imputes to us or counts to us or, or accounts to us the righteousness of Christ. This guy's arguing, and I was reading his article, he's saying most Christians don't understand that. Most Christians don't get that, but they do believe the gospel. They do believe that Jesus died by, for their sins. I want to write this guy, and I probably will go, you're just about half saved by grace. You don't get it yet. You don't understand it. Because if you don't understand double imputation, if you don't understand that God took your sin and imputed it to Jesus, and he took Jesus' righteousness and imputed it to you, you're going to run around the rest of your Christian life worried about whether or not God accepts you, whether or not you've lived up enough, whether or not you're de uh, devoted, whether or not you're serious enough, whether or not you're striving enough. And enough, enough, enough will choke you. In other words, this particular writer I was reading was arguing that if you take away this idea that we don't have to produce a righteousness and that Christ has produced us for it, then people will live any old way they want to. They won't care. You know, if Jesus has already done everything, hey, you know, uh, what is the old antinomian credo, freed... Uh, Freed uh, by his grace, oh blessed condition, I can sin as I please and still have remission? No, uh, that's dead wrong because that fails to recognize what Paul recognized in the book of Romans, the connection between justification, what happens outside of us, and sanctification, what happens inside of us. And so I'm trying to get you to, to not be directionally challenged here, but to help you understand that justification is God's declaration. It is an act in which he declares us forever to be under his favor. It is Christ for us. It is objective to us. And not to understand imputation is not to understand the gospel. One can never, ever fully understand the gospel unless they understand that both justification and sanctification are by faith and are distinguishable. They are, though they are distinguishable, they are absolutely inseparable. Let me say it this way. There is not one person on this planet whom God declares objectively outside of themselves to be right with him that he does not at the same time begin to impart righteousness and develop righteousness and fruit in that person. You cannot claim to be justified if sanctification, growing in grace and holiness is not a present reality in your life. Why? Because one is cause, the other is effect.
That's exactly what the Bible teaches. One is cause, the other is effect. And it is justification, believing the gospel, that impels us forward to sanctification. Let me read again the catechism's definition. Well, I don't have that. Who is this guy not giving me that definition? Well, I can tell you what it is. Sanctification, and I think the confession says this, sanctification is growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ that by God's power enables us more and more to die unto sin and more and more to grow into right living or righteousness. And so that is sanctification. So justification is something that God does outside of me. Sanctification is something God does inside of me. Because when I'm born again, when I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, that is who he is, then God begins this process of placing the Holy Spirit in me, and he begins this process of writing his law upon my heart, and he changes me and transforms me from degree unto degree. And so sanctification is rooted in justification as causes to effect. One can never claim to be justified if sanctification is not a present reality. If, however, we separate justification and sanctification, we cannot escape a distorted Christian experience. For example, if we separate justification and sanctification, we cannot escape moralism which I call Christian behavioralism, that is concerned more with the outward person. You ever been in these churches, I grew up in these churches, that placed a great emphasis on the whitewashed tomb, but totally ignored the dead men's bones inside. In other words, you didn't dance, you didn't smoke, you didn't chew, and you didn't go with girls who do. That was holiness. Holiness was separating yourself from distinct carnal uh, acts of sin. But it never touched the heart. Why? Because the church I grew up in did not understand justification at all. I never heard about it. I don't know if I would have responded to it. Probably not uh, at that time. But I sure wish I had heard it. Uh, one of the distortions is moralism. Another is legalism, salvation by getting everything right. Or Pharisaism, self-justification. Subjectivism, experience is my righteousness. Mysticism, climbing the ladder of ascent. Triumphalism, if I get it reasonably right, God will bless me with health, wealth, success, and prosperity. And your best life now-ism. All of those are distortions that uh, a result from a big misunderstanding of what the doctrine of justification is. And that is why when Martin Luther had his tower experience and finally got the gospel, it shook the world. Why did it shake the world? Because there's power in it. There's power in that. And it will change you. Romans 8.1 informs us that for the one who is united to Jesus Christ by faith and not works, there is now no condemnation. Condemnation is the polar opposite of justification. 
Condemnation is the opposite. Our acceptance with God is by sheer, unmitigated grace. We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely means there is no cause. It is without a cause. There's nothing in us that you can point to that made it happen. Grace is not conditioned by any quality that God may discover in our hearts and lives. If so, it would not be grace. Grace is a disposition in the heart of God. It is His goodness, His favor, His mercy and love showered upon the undeserving and even the ill-deserving. People always talk a lot about unconditional love. And I understand why. That sounds really good, doesn't it? But God's love isn't unconditional. It is contra-conditional. It is against every condition. It is free. Grace is free. It cost God his son, but for us, it's free. It is God being kind to rebels who are at enmity with him. Grace is free for us, but costly for God. God accepts the unacceptable, but never in a way that cancels or overrides his justice. The rule of law must be upheld. God must have legal, valid grounds to forgive us and declare us righteous. He would cease to be God if he ignored his justice and his righteousness. And so Christ living and dying for us are the sole material grounds of God's ability to judge us and to declare us righteous. You know, you're not waiting for the end. There is no Gabriel at the door of heaven telling us what we need to do to get in. If you are not justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, you're in big trouble. You're in the worst trouble you can possibly imagine. It would be hard to describe, as the Bible tries often to do, what your destiny would be. But the verdict has already been rendered. The verdict has already happened for us. We've already been declared. Court has already met. We pled for mercy. And Christ himself undertook what we deserved. He took away... He gave Jesus what we deserve, and he gave us what Jesus deserves. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. Nothing else other than salvation by grace is good news. Every other message is bad news. The gospel, praise that's, gospel proclaims that sinners are saved by objective, concrete acts in space-time history. Justification is not found in some process within the person, but is found in the events and actions outside of the person. In the Old Testament, this was illustrated by the judgment upon which God poured snakes, or asked snakes, out on his people, and they were biting people, and they were dying. And so God told Moses to do what? Get a piece of copper, make it in the form of a snake, put it on a pole, hold it up on the pole, and tell people to what? Look at the snake and you will what? He didn't say go to a seminar on what causes snake bites. He didn't say try to be more careful when you walk around outside. He said what? Look outside of yourselves to this snake on a pole. What does a snake represent? It represents the curse. Brass represents judgment. It's the curse of Jesus upon the cross. Looking out of that, outside of themselves to that, brought healing. It's all over the Bible. God only saves one way. By grace, through faith, in the person, 
of Jesus Christ. Our union with Him is the basis of everything. And so, perfection is not something that God requires of us at the end of process. He demands perfection and absolute holiness before a right relationship can even begin with Him and all rest on what has been done for us and outside of us in the person and work of Jesus Christ well over 2,000 years ago. God broke into history in the person of his son. Luther called him the proper man, the representative man, the federal head who bore our nature and so identified with us that all he did was not only for us but legally as if we ourselves had done it. What he did was really, legally, our victory. His resurrection was for us. It was his people that God embraced in his son. The gospel is not thing, good things God will do, but rather good things God has already done. Justification becomes ours by faith alone. A lot of people like to say, uh, I've had this discussion with family members, you know, you love theological discussions with family members. And, you know, I kind of have this reputation. I mean, they won't even let me play Bible trivia with them. So I'm, I'm a real outcast among my family. So we were talking about uh, faith, and it was like, well, yeah, God saves everybody who has faith, but faith is your part. Faith is what you do that makes you righteous. And, of course, I just lost it. I completely lost it. And I said, you could not be more wrong in what you are saying, if you don't mind my saying so. <laughs> I said, faith, nobody's got faith. Faith is a gift of God. What do we talk about in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 8? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that, what's that? Faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Why do you believe that somebody else doesn't? God gave you faith. Hallelujah. What I'm good at is unbelief. What I'm good at is turning my back on God and walking the other way. I'm really good at that. But faith? Faith is not any kind of cause at all of justification. Faith is receiving with the empty hand the object of our trust, trust Jesus and what he has done for us. Calvin said we are saved by faith because it is the most self-emptying Grace. Wow. I believe old Johnny Boy got it, didn't he? We receive an alien righteousness, an outside of us righteousness, in which we are totally passive. We do not produce it. It's never achieved, only received. Therefore, justification is not subjective inside righteousness any more than condemnation is subjective inside wickedness. They are both declarations. They are both forensic language, the language of the court, and both are declarations that God has made. Both are verdicts declaring how one stands in relationship to the Father. Justification is the legal verdict of God declaring that we are forever right with Him and we live forever under His favor. Let me tell you. If you've been justified by grace alone and faith alone, God only intends for you in everything that touches your life, everything that touches your experience, He intends good for you. 
He is for you. He is not against you. Now, I'm not saying we always understand how it all works together. I'm not saying that I don't struggle with that, just like you struggle with that. But the truth is, because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, we are forever under his favor. In this matter of our acceptance before God, we are never to be anxious about what God thinks of us, but we are able to rest with the assurance in what God thinks of our substitute, the Lord Jesus. When the Father cried out to Jesus, uh, uh, from heaven as Jesus was baptized, he said what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. You want to please God? You got to get in Jesus. <laughs> That's the only way you're going to please God. And when we are united to Christ by faith, when he is in us and we are in union with him, the words God says to his Son you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God says to us, you are my beloved adopted son in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because you are united to Jesus. God looks at you the same way he looks at his son. And when, I was reading a Puritan the other day, I can't remember his name. Every once in a while I'll have a fit and have to read the Puritans. Might have been because we were packing the library and I found this book. And he said, how does God look at you as a Christian when you sin? How does he look at your weaknesses? How does he look at you in your ustus uh, et peccator condition, at the same time righteous and a sinner? How does God look? Does he look at you with disgust? Does he look at you with disappointment? You know, uh, one of the seminars that helped me understand the gospel a lot had this illustration in it. One day, a little girl was wanting to uh, please her father. She really wanted to please her father. And so her father was a businessman, and he wore starched white shirts to work every day. They had to be perfect because he had an image to present. And so the little girl was helping her mother, and her mother says, well, you can hang up Dad's shirt, and I'll tell him you did it, and, and then we'll starch it. And so she goes out to the clothesline. This is an old illustration, by the way. <laughs> Who hangs up clothes today? I can remember taking them down. I, I never hung them up either. But she hung up this little shirt, or this man's shirt, and the problem was there was rust on both the clothesline and the clothespin, and so the shirt got rust on it where it was hanging. And so in the uh, afternoon, the little girl was so excited, and she ran outside, and she got her daddy's shirt, and she brought it into her mother, and her mother looked at her, and, and inside, she didn't say anything, but inside she thought, Oh, no, he'll never wear this shirt. So he comes home from work, and the little girl takes her little shirt, and she runs it over to her father, and her father looks at it, and she said, Look, Daddy, I washed your shirt. Here's the shirt you can wear tomorrow. And the man took the shirt, and he said, Don't you see this rust on it? You need to go wash that again. Take that to your mother right now. And the seminar said, If Jesus had been sitting there, he would have worn the shirt because the best thing we can do for him has the stains of sin all over it. But it's accepted because of who he is and what he's done. We are beautiful to him. I, I don't think I can tell you how much God delights in us. We are the apple of his eye. He rejoices over us with singing. you got to have that or this, this hard struggle called the Christian life is going to eat you alive. 
It will depress you. It will discourage you. Or if you think you're good at it, it will puff you up and make you obnoxious and not a single person can stand to be around you. My wife had a, a Roman Catholic teacher who was her favorite teacher in uh, school, in high school. And she used to tell my wife all the time, there's nothing more obnoxious than new Christians. And I said, why didn't you tell her there's nothing more obnoxious than Catholics talking about new Christians? <laughs> she said, I didn't have the nerve to. And she loved this woman and respected this woman. Let's say there's nothing more obnoxious than a self-righteous Christian, that is a Christian who thinks it is by what they have done that has righted the ship with God, and, and they believe that it's what they've accomplished is the reason why God loves them, and so they're puffed up with pride. God hates that. And so the method of justification is not is imputation, it is not impartation, or the infusing of any righteousness within. To impute is to charge or credit an account. It is to attribute to the sinner what he does not possess in himself. It is a sweet exchange, his righteousness for our sin. Our status, how we are regarded by God, changes forever. Now, a lot of people object to this concept of imputed righteousness. They call it stuff like legal fiction, divine make-believe, hocus-pocus, celestial bookkeeping, or pasted on righteousness. All of these objections are merely a failure to see the inseparability between justification and sanctification. The point of the Bible is that justification is the only thing that can lead to justification or sanctification because just justification is the dynamic cause of sanctification. Justification paves the way for sanctification. It not only deals with the guilt and penalty of sin, but also its condemning power. It makes holiness possible by removing sin's lawful right to rule over us and establishing our lawful right to walk in holiness. But let's think about the connection here uh, between justification and sanctification. Uh, I've tried to distinguish between them. Justification has to do with our objective guilt. Sanctification concerns our corruption. Justification is legal, external, and objective. Sanctification is experiential, internal, subjective. Justification relates to our position. Sanctification relates to our condition. Justification is righteousness imputed. Sanctification is righteousness imparted. Justification has no degrees. That is, the person is either guilty or not guilty, righteous or unrighteous. No one is described as slightly righteous or slightly uh, or fairly guilty. You're either <laughs> one or the other. Sanctification has degrees. Justification is once and for all and never repeated. Sanctification is a gradual process. Justification is by the declaration of God the Father. Sanctification is by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Justification has absolutely no place at all at any time for any works. Sanctification involves our responsible cooperation and that being faith and repentance. But there's also a psychological connection between sanctification and justification a life of fellowship and communion with God is only possible if we are persuaded that we are already acceptable and pleasing to God 
Here's what happens. We talk about using the means of grace. We talk about something like a daily quiet time or reading our Bibles or praying or sharing our faith or other things that we might do that are spiritual, quote, exercises. But here's a subtle thing, and I, I made this mistake very early on in my Christian experience. I did those things because I thought it was my duty, and I thought if I did them, God would be approving and pleased with me that day and that nothing bad would happen to me. Kind of stupid, wasn't it? But that's what I thought. And what these things called the means of grace that we do are to be done not merely as duty. They are a duty, but how do we do them with delight? Because we understand we're already accepted in the beloved. And so we do these things out of gratitude and out of a desire to want to know our Father better and to want to know His will for our lives more fully. A life of fellowship with God is only possible if we're persuaded we're already accepted and already pleasing to God. The persuasion is not based upon past, future, present, or future achievement. It's based on the truth that God is fully satisfied with Jesus. The assurance of that acceptance enables us to joyfully serve God freely and gladly out of a faith-generated love with no agenda. If I live the Christian life in order to secure acceptance with God, then any free, grateful, spontaneous obedience dries up and withers away. If I'm driven then by the fear of punishment and rejection or pride of achievement or a sense of superiority, then I have totally destroyed what God is attempting to do in me. The one who is forgiven much loves much, and the one who hears neither do I condemn you is the one who wants to go and sin no more. If you truly hear, understand, grasp, and are grasped by the biblical doctrine of justification by faith, your whole motivational system changes. And the Christian life becomes a delight. Not saying it's not a struggle. I don't mean to say that. I don't mean to paint it. Uh, in one color with one brush I mean there's more to it but even if you are a Christian you can still let your mind drift back to the notion that your acceptability before God depends upon your own sincerity your own effort or performance Richard Lovelace again who's one of my favorite writers says this the anesthetic of grace is constantly needed in the healing process of sanctification along with the surgical ministry of the law. For this reason, many areas of the church which, which contain a great deal of legal thunder and lightning exposing at least the surfaces of sin are full of desperately anxious and bitterly contentious people. Law without grace provokes sin uh, along with exposing it and aggravates it into some of its ugliest expressions. That's why I often say the meanest people I've ever met in my entire life are at church. Now, the counselor who is attempting to move people further in sanctification should therefore begin with a strong emphasis on justification and reiterate this often in the course of his work. 
Psychoanalysts speak of the resistance patients have toward the discovery of traumatic material hidden in the unconscious. The same automatic fear of having repressed problems uncovered will grip and bind Christian believers unless they are very deeply assured that they are accepted in the beloved, received by God as if they were perfectly righteous because their guilt is canceled by the righteousness of Christ laid to their account. The human conscience is very deeply disoriented in its conviction that we must have works and sanctification to recommend ourselves to God. The covenant of works is in our DNA. It is there. We must carry out a very deliberate replacement of this misunderstanding with the awareness that God simply wants honesty, openness, and a trusting reliance upon the Savior. We cannot bear the light on our needs unless we are also in the light concerning God's grace to meet those needs. We can't take it. You remember Jack Nicholson in that movie, You Can't Handle the Truth? Well, <laughs> we can't handle the truth. Martin Luther once said, if God showed me all my sin at once, I would die. I would die. Now, it bothers some people to hear us talk so candidly about being sinful. The only way you can do that without it completely laying you away is to have the assurance that God has covered my sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. He has given me the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, I have the psychological courage to actively face how messed up I am. No more how messed up you are. No, <laughs> how messed up I am. So we can still find ourselves going back looking for some inner reason why God should love you. If you could only point to something within yourself that was clearly deserving of love, then it would be easier to trust that God does in fact love you because we fundamentally believe I'd never love anybody that treats me the way I treat God. That's why it's so hard to believe. In fact, He does love us. And the line of thought, while understandable and attractive, ends up making all the difference in the world. Our foundation for security and confidence no longer lies in the person of work of Jesus, but rests on something within ourselves that we think we will make us lovable and acceptable to God. It is an unconscious step from solid rock to quicksand. We cannot locate this lovable quality within ourselves because there is nothing within us so good that makes us deserving of God's love. To search for it is futile and fruitless and risks plunging us into introspective self-doubt. Any attempt to find a compelling reason why God must love us is an evasion of the most basic truth of the gospel. Our acceptability to God depends solely on what Jesus has done for us, not on what we have done for ourselves. And so, we can only accept his acceptance as a free gift. We can add nothing to it. There is a causal connection between justification and sanctification that is established by the new covenant, gift of the Holy Spirit. Christ won the gift of the Holy Spirit for us. Justification by faith alone is the only way to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the primary agent of sanctification. Finally, 
There is, in the life of the Christian, a constant need for returning to justification. That is why people like Martin Luther often said things like this. He said, sanctification is simply believing your justification is true. Now, it's more than that, but at least it is that. We often return back to our justification. Since the life of holiness is fueled and fired by justification, sanctification must constantly return to justification. You've heard this little expression, preach the gospel to yourself. What does that mean? You go back and you look again at what the Bible says about who you are in Jesus Christ, what your real identity is, what God thinks of you, how much he loves you, the way he sees you. You go back to that and return back to that and get your um, soteriological uh, bearings. That is, you get an understanding of this is what I need to know as I strive for holiness with all of my might and I find myself failing and I find myself discovering that there's more sin in me than I ever knew or thought and I return back to my justification and it lights a fire in my soul that drives me toward a greater desire for holiness. We will never reach a point where our fellowship with God does not rest on His blood and righteousness. Sanctification is getting used to your justification. If we do not understand the relationship between justification and sanctification, our life will become a distorted caricature of the real thing. As we grasp it more and more, we will experience a growing freedom to move out of ourselves and give ourselves in love to other people. And so that is what I hope to tell you today. The core of the challenge is whether we live by faith relying upon Christ or do what's natural, live by unbelief relying on ourselves. Our hearts are deceitful and have a hard time accepting the unfavorable evaluation of Scripture regarding our fallen nature. We don't like to be called sinners and our pride reacts with hostility to the truth of our absolute need to be at the mercy of anyone. Unbelief simply says, I'm not that bad, Pastor. I can handle it. Others may struggle, but I'm not a loser. I'm not a failure. I'm not a weak person. I don't need a crutch. Our desire to save ourselves by obeying the standards or rejecting or rebelling against the standards and establishing our own is always present. Self-justification is always rearing its ugly head, undermining our joy. But as we learn to take God at his word against our natural inclinations, moment by moment, for our Christian identity and self-acceptance, the true foundation of holiness will grow. That's how you change. That's how you change. And you've got to learn to return to your justification in order to experience the vitalizing, energizing, electrifying truth that sends you on your way to sanctification. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the wonderful truth that there is therefore now no condemnation to the ones who are in Christ Jesus. 
because you sent your son and did for us what the law could never do. We could never reach justification through obedience to the law because even our best works are filthy righteousness. And we thank you that you sent your son in the likeness of our sinful flesh to do what we could not do, to obey the law and suffer its penalty and judgment for disobedience so that we can have acceptance with you. We pray we will grow deeper the roots of understanding in this truth and that it will change us from the crown of our head to the sole of our feet in order that Christ may be glorified. Now, Father, as we continue to worship, may we give as people who are grateful and even hilarious over our acceptance in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.